0: Morning. Good to see some faces looking back, somebody asked if uh, talking at church is like talking at school, no, no, I come up here and everyone looks at you expecting you to say something, at school it's, hey, eyes here, look, mm, stop, put that away, knock it off. You know, rarely before having a sermon, does anybody really ask you what's, what's it about, what's up next? And this one's been on the bulletin for maybe a month or so now. and just listed as God's sovereignty. And I've had a lot of people coming up and asking, like, well, what are you talking about? And why this in the middle of Daniel? So no, it's not God's sovereignty versus the free will of man and how those things interact. That is way beyond my pay grade. This is more like in Daniel, the sovereignty of God over nations and how God moves in history, establishes government, and how should we live in light of that? And so I put the title Daniel and Living in Babylon. And I appreciate when uh, Tim was up here talking about this film Babylon. I've yet to see anything on it, but the idea like living in an age of excess and this overabundance. And yeah, I think in some ways we are living in Babylon, and we can pull something from Daniel about this. There was a little bit of a gap just in the preaching schedule, and to move a preaching schedule and just a domino effect when one person moves a sermon, so we had this gap, and I thought that would just be a good little side road to think about where do we fit in God's plan of government and nations and empires, and how do we live our lives in light of all those things. So that's what I want to talk about this morning. I've been thinking about this a lot, and I hope I have something that you can like pull from this, take with you, and maybe just see the world we live in in a little different way. So that's what I want to talk about this morning. Daniel and living in Babylon. So I want to consider this, this idea of God's sovereignty over nations and in human history. And I remember I was young, maybe 20, when I first really heard this verse. And it just kind of shook me up a little bit. I thought, that is right. Last week, Dave read this verse. The sentence is by the decree of the watchers, the decision by the word of the holy ones to the end. That the living may know that the Most High rules in the kingdom of men. And if I had my pen and my Bible right now, I just might underline that. As you look around the world and you think about the rise and the fall of nations and of empires and leaders, and you realize that God is indeed over all the world. The nations that rise, the warring nations seeking for power, for wealth, the things that men seek after in the world. And yet God is over all of it. And this part just strikes me about every four years, this phrase, and gives it to whom he will. And as I sat and thought about this, I thought about all the leaders, thought about Nebuchadnezzar and Cyrus, Belteshazzar, I thought about the Caesars. I imagine this: the rulers and the kings of Europe having spent some time in Asia. The kings over the Asian nations and the African nations. People have risen to prominence. And yet God put them where they are. I know we get so like worked up over who is going to be in power. Who's going to make the rules? Who are we going to lift up? And look at that last line. And it says, and he puts over it the lowliest of men. And as you look at the election cycles, in some ways, like, democracy is an ironic thing because we put forward a little representation of ourselves, don't we, sometimes? And I'll admit it, like, the last couple election cycles, I look at the ballot and I think, this is it. Like, this is who we put forward to govern ourselves. And we put our hope sometimes that we'll put the right person forward. And sometimes I think, you know, we either hold someone up, and you pick who you like. They're either somewhere between, this is the Antichrist, or this is Messiah. And you know, like, we either tend to look at people like one of these two things. Either they're the worst thing ever to walk the face of the earth. Or they're going to save us all and we hang our hopes on this single person. And I think we need to realize that God gives the government of men to whom he will and at times the lowliest among us. And after when I first heard this, I kind of ran with a King James crowd. So this is in my brain. In Daniel, in, in the verse in King James, it says, the basest of men. So take from that as you will the lowliest, the basest. Maybe not the person who we idealize as a leader. But God gives government to people. In a Proverbs, it says, The king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he will. So God brings people into authority in government And he uses them to accomplish his own purpose. And how God does this, I'll admit I don't entirely wrap my mind around it. But somehow God uses people and men to move nations and empires. And he has a purpose and an end in mind. And I think this is one of the key themes of the book of Daniel, is that God uses human history to accomplish his purpose. And somehow we have to, like, navigate living a Christian life in the midst of this. And today I hope, as I wrap this thing around, this is where we'll land. How can you live under the lowliest of men, under human government, and yet live in a way that honors Christ? I was just telling him, you know, I think we probably could have spent four or five weeks on this. But instead of that, you get the 30-minute version. So... I want to look at human dominion and government. Where does this idea of government come from? I believe it's God's purpose as part of having the image of God is to have dominion over the earth. So from Genesis chapter 1, And God blessed them, Adam and Eve. And he said, God said to them, Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, and have dominion over the fish, the birds, every living thing. This is Genesis 1, before the fall. You know, in my mind, I have this idea that the idea of, you know, producing and, like, moving out is sort of like an after the fall kind of thing. Like, somewhere in my head, I got this idea that the idealized version of Eden is Adam and Eve and God. Like, this is kind of the ideal. I'm like, no, look at this. In the garden, before the fall, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth. So God's purpose is for the earth to be filled, to be under human dominion. And in that, I think, is implied the idea of, like, government and culture and, like, human flourishing. These things are in God's purpose for us on the earth. And so they're not meant to stay in the garden, this little, this little place. They're meant to produce and, like, spread out, to fill the earth. God gives human government. So it does not take long, as we know the story, for things to turn sideways. For people not to live out what they're intended to. So we know that one brother killed his other brother. And so, following the flood, God wipes out the earth. And then to Noah, something unique. This is where it begins. God gives human government gives government into human hands. And look what he tells Noah. Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. So he gives the government into human hands. For he made man in his own image. So part of this being in the image of God is government, is being God's representative on the earth, governing over each other. So it gives dignity and value to human life, to people in the image of God. So Noah has this responsibility, not just to multiply, but to, in, the place of, in the place of God, to govern and to do justice on the earth. And then again, he repeats, the, uh, repeats that same command. Be fruitful, multiply, increase on the earth, and multiply in it to fill the earth. So what do people do next? Well, we all move into one, one location. And I just want to bring this up, the Tower of Babel, that from this spot, God distributes people throughout the earth. So the Lord dispersed them. They came together. They wanted to make a name for themselves to be great. And he spread them over the face of the earth, and they left off building the city, and they spread And I only bring this up to make the um, point that from this point, the nations and the kingdoms, the empires of the earth begin to spread. And following the Tower of Babel, very next part of the narrative is Abraham in the Ur of the Chaldees in Mesopotamia. And as we look at human history, this is the place like where human civilization begins is Mesopotamia in the Ur. And then Abraham is called out of this. And so even though living in Mesopotamia and the Chaldeans, Abraham is called out of that and said, this is human government. This is an empire, a kingdom, but I'm going to call you out to go somewhere else. I'm going to call you out of that, not as a citizen. You're not a citizen of this place, but you're a citizen of a country I'm going to call you to. So why did things go so wrong? There is a world system. And shocking as it is, like, somehow God gave over human government into the hands of people. And at the same time, God gave Satan a dominion in this world and on the earth. And Satan has influence in the world around us. So we have men governing each other. We have Satan having influence in the world. And I think this surprises a lot of us. We sort of have this idea that God hell, lit on Satan. I say this very carefully. Because indeed, Satan is limited by where God allows him to go. You know, it's the book of Job. You know, you can do this, but you can't do that. But we look around and we don't see the influence of godliness over the course of human history. I believe the course of human history is marked by satanic forces behind the scenes and the things that people do to one another for self-benefit can be nothing short of satanic so i just want to consider three verses there's more but i think it's enough to get the flavor of the thing so in ephesians chapter 2 in which you once walked following the course of this world following the prince of the power of the air speaking of Satan the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience so interesting that he would call Paul calls Satan the prince I mean interesting isn't it a prince of the power of the air this phrase like I don't think it's just our atmosphere but I think it's the idea that Satan has influence in spiritual places where things move where decisions are made where culture is decided Satan has influence. And so he's called a prince of the power of the air. When you described Satan to somebody, would you call him a prince? He was kind of like, no, like, ridiculous. Second Corinthians. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel, the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. So here in uh, Corinthians. Satan is called the God of this world. In John, now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world. So Satan called the ruler of the world. And so we see these things happening behind the scenes. We have human government, we have Satan moving things. And then here we are. In light of this, how do we live out our lives? And I think that's one of the themes here in Daniel. In light of this, we're looking forward to a kingdom that is not currently in this world. So there's a tendency, and I think especially as Americans, we have a tendency to see this like this is our promised land. You know, when they, people first came here, Europeans did, it was like a light on a hill. And don't get me wrong, I believe this nation's been a blessing to many. It's been good to my family. It's been good, I believe, for the purpose of the gospel around the world. But shockingly, the United States of America is not the kingdom of God. Like, God has a bigger vision than just this land. And we're looking forward to that kingdom. And it doesn't depend on democracy. And I think it's so interesting that we, like, want to push out democracy to the rest of the world. But God's government is not democracy. God's government is a monarchy under the King of Kings Lord of Lords. And if you've ever been to another country I'm just curious, how many of you guys have been out of the U.S, and like you look around and you realize everybody in every other nation loves their country, I think as much as we love ours. And I don't think it's a bad thing. You know? Paul he said he had a heart for his people, you know, God's people. And I think for us to have a heart for our neighbor and our nation, I think it's a good thing to love our nation, to love our neighbors. Um, but, you know, I don't think it's unique to just this country. You know, when we spent time in China, they were pretty certain that was the greatest nation on earth. They are the oldest nation, like one of the oldest civilizations. And to hear them say, like, oh, this is the greatest country and we're the greatest people, that's like no, I have news for you. We're over there. And I, no, I didn't see it. But you like, this kind of a common trait in humanity, like a love of nation. And I think even at the end, you know, every tribe and nation and tongue, I don't think those things get erased. But I think all of it falls down at the feet of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we acknowledge he is Lord, regardless of where we're from. Christ is Lord. And consider Daniel 2. You know, the statue of the head of gold, you know, it's Babylon. You know, the shoulders of uh, silver, you know, it's the next, the Persians. You know, and then the Greeks and the Romans. But all these nations, they rise, they fall. And then a stone that's cut without hands crushes all these nations. And what does it do? It fills the earth. And so this is the great kingdom. And this is our hope in light of this. Our hope is not in a nation But our hope is in God. Peter says we're waiting for, we're hastening the coming of the day of God. Because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved. The heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. As they're crushed by that stone cut without hands. But according to his promise, we're waiting for a new heavens. A new earth in which dwells righteousness. So as we see a world... That is influenced by Satan, by satanic and demonic influences. Don't we just long for a nation where righteousness dwells? As it were, like garbage is just flushed? And yes, righteousness lives among us, and Christ rules. And I think we long for that. And in the meantime, what do we do? Do we just sit on our hands and I want to consider this. Consider Daniel. So the theme we're looking at, how does Daniel live out live out his life faithfully, considering his circumstances? You know, Daniel is living in Babylon. You know, Israel has been demolished. Judah, you know, laid siege, the articles of the temple taken. Um He's living in a foreign land. He's surrounded by godlessness and great wealth at the same time. I'm sure, I'm sure Babylon was a fantastic place to live, minus the godlessness and idolatry. But as far as like just a comfortable place, it was probably fantastic. Probably more wealth than anybody else up to that point in history had ever seen. And Daniel's living in the wonder of it all. And he's subject to a pagan king's authority. And yet somehow he finds a way to live a godly life in the midst of Babylon. And I think we can draw something from this. And to do this, I want to consider this. You know, we're living here in the United States, we have wealth that people around the world and people throughout history could not even imagine. The things that we have available to us are just beyond the scope of people's imagination. Occasionally I sit at Costco and we get a slice of pizza and we'll sit and I just look up these shelves. I think we have more food than we can take home in our minivan. And it's all just there and I've never worried about will I ever have enough? You know, it's just it's incredible. The material blessing we have but this is not our home we are called as citizens of a heavenly kingdom so it's hard not to look around it's hard not to feel like this is my final destination but listen to what the bible has to say our citizenship is in heaven that's where we belong and from it we await for a savior the lord jesus christ so then you are no longer strangers and aliens. I love this. You are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. And again, for those who have traveled other places, when you meet a believer, like we're, we are fellow citizens. Like we are family. We are members of the same nation. As it were, we have the same spiritual passport, you and I. We may have a different national passport, but spiritually, when the role, as it were, when the roll's is called to Beyonder, you like we're all going to be on the same roll call. We have the same citizenship. And when I've met some believers, I met some over in China, and I thought, your faith is so great in the sense, like, in the midst of persecution, when it's not easy, when it costs you much. And you love the Lord. And we're family and we are part of the same kingdom. Regardless of what flag we drive by. So yes, citizens of heaven. For here we have no lasting city. But we seek the city that is to come. From Hebrews, we are looking forward to a kingdom. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles. As we are living out this life, we are moving toward a kingdom that's not part of this world system. The kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ. Who says, abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. So, you know, be aware of like where our citizenship is. And yes, we are citizens here, and we ought to be good citizens. But ultimately, our citizenship is in heaven. With the saints. So, how do we live this out? Like, how do we live as citizens in Babylon, in the United States, wherever it is that we live? How do we represent or live for the Lord faithfully like Daniel? So I just want to suggest a few things. So, Romans chapter 13, you know, if you're going to earmark a chapter that talks about government and how you live, you know paul living in the roman empire i will say our day and age has nothing on the roman empire but paul says this he says let every person be subject to the governing authorities interesting so bear an authority recognize that there is no authority except from god the most high rules in the kingdom of men he gives it to whom he will Those in authority, whether godly leaders or not, God placed them there. And those who exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed. And those who resist will incur judgment. Rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. This is a function of government. To put a halt, a slowing on bad behavior, But for this pay taxes to the authorities, our ministers of God attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them, taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. And so i put you know this is a general sense. Pay taxes. What is due to the government? You pay it up. You want think about the Lord and the coin? And he asked, you know, whose inscription? It's Caesar's. So give to Caesar what is Caesar's. And give to God what is God's. So we live in this world, understanding that authority is placed here. And you know, governments are corrupt. And we all know this. But even corrupt governments want to have peace in their empire. And the think about the Romans. Their big, their big beef with Jesus was, look, he's upsetting the apple cart. Can't like Pilate didn't want to have insurrections. He wanted peace. And so in our lifetime, like I think we want peace. We're called to pray for our leaders. It's 1 Timothy. Pray for your leaders so we can live peaceable lives. Romans tells us to live peaceably as far as you are able. Live peaceably with others. Get along. It's not always easy. Use your earthly citizenship for spiritual good. I think about Paul as he appealed, says, I'm a Roman citizen. He didn't neglect that, the privileges that brought, but he took advantage of it for spiritual good, for the spread of the gospel. And I think a lot of us maybe don't realize, myself included, just how much earthly benefit we have just by the place where we live. You know, we have the ability to travel like few other people. We have the resources to do good for the gospel, as few other nations have. We should take advantage of these things we have for the sake of the kingdom, for the sake of the gospel. We should use those things. Whether it's financial, the ability to travel, the ability to help others, We can do these things. And I think even in the course of human history, we have an ability to affect our government for good within the bounds of the government. You know, I believe that we can pursue good. We have more avenues to pursue good in this nation than most people have throughout history, where people just, the heavy hand of the government, simply put you under their thumb. But, you know, we have the ability to have a voice, to speak out, to, to speak, to write, to move, to affect others. And where you can, I think we should. I think we have liberty to do a lot of things for good that others in the world don't have the capacity. And we should take advantage of that. And I kind of feel the weight of that, like, you know, am I doing what I'm able and what I'm called to? So it's just food for thought what does the Lord put on your heart? And I'll say, when the Lord puts something on your heart, don't just dismiss it and think it's for somebody else. It may be something the Lord has put on your heart specifically. And then when it's not possible to do these things, and sometimes it's not, the overriding rule is we ought to obey God rather than man. In the book of Acts, the disciples were commanded to stop teaching in the name of Jesus and they said, sorry, we can't do that. And so they taught. And just like in Daniel, where they were called to bow, they said, we won't do this, but you know, with the consequences, be what they may, we will be faithful no matter what. And I think that's our call. And I feel the push of this more and more as our culture is pressing in. For a long time, it was just live and let live. But I feel more and more At some point, it's going to cost us to stand for Christ in this world. And I feel that. And I believe as you stand for Christ and as you stand up, I think you're going to feel it too. And I just want to encourage you guys: expect difficulty. Standing for Christ is not going to be easy. As we go through Daniel, it was not easy for Daniel, it was not easy for his friends. It cost them something. John says, if you were of this world, the world would love you as its own. Be because you are not of the world. But I chose you out of the world. Therefore, the world hates you. And I think we should feel the weight of that. As you stand for Christ, you're not going to get a pat on the back. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you're blessed. Because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. Don't be difficult. Do what's good. And if you suffer for those things, you probably deserve it. But if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed. But let him glorify God in that name. So as you stand for the Lord, yeah, you're going to suffer. And you're going to feel it. And yeah, it's going to hurt. But we can glory in that because God's glorified. My final thought here is going back to Daniel. We need to know that God is moving behind the scenes in human history. You know, as Daniel predicts the future, you know, in the beginning, it's like, well, that's kind of amazing. This prophetic predictions, but it becomes more specific. And as a, as Daniel and his um, the visions continue, and they're interpreted, and looking back, people say, there's no way that this is written before the events. It's too specific. Daniel's prophetic accuracy points to the fact that God is moving in human history. Nations rise and they fall. Because God is moving and directing. And I believe Daniel shows this. And we're going to get a glimpse as we work through Daniel of the spiritual forces that are behind the nations as they are warring. But consider Daniel himself as a picture of faithful living while we're waiting for God's final kingdom. So I just want to encourage us, church, to be faithful. And as we see this world they just kind of turning upside down, and we see God being pushed not only set aside in a godless way, but it seems more and more we see a anti pushing not only God over there but actively working against God, that we can stand faithful, we can stand strong. and I believe that ultimately God's going to be glorified in this. And so let's be a Daniel in our own Babylon. Right here in Yakima. So, Lord, we're just thankful for this for the example that we saw in Daniel. Just give us hearts that truly see your kingdom as a greater, a greater kingdom than the world we live in. Give us hearts to be faithful, Lord, no matter the cost. And ultimately, Lord, just give us hearts that long to see your kingdom. We just pray in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen.